0: So many fun things going on in the tennis world right now, whether it's the college. You know, we just had the Easter Bowl and the juniors and obviously the sunshine duo Miami Indian Wells on the pro side. Now we're gearing up for that clay court swing. Uh, If you want to catch up on any of that, be sure to check out our website, CrackedRackets.com. You know the podcast front by now. This podcast, the Great Shot podcast, the mini break, what the deuce, uh, all that content for you guys to try and help you stay up to date with all things tennis because it really is such a complex complicated uh ongoing world uh, so go check that out on today's interview so excited uh for this guest as a fellow midwest tennis player this is one of the guys if, if you had high aspirations you're always chasing in his coattails he is the former number one recruit on tennis recruiting.net an all-american during his four years at illinois and the current atp number 383 ranked player in the world jared hiltzik welcome to the cracked interviews podcast thanks alex and So I, I want to start here. For people who have followed tennis, they were obviously watching Miami, and at a certain point they saw a young man by the name of Jared Hiltzik pop up on their screen to talk about the transition tour. Now, I know you have been very outspoken about that, and I do want to talk about that, but you've done a lot of other cool things in tennis. But just in terms of the things you've experienced going on that media tour, what was that like for you?
1: It was awesome. Yeah, I got the invite to – do an interview with tennis channel regarding the itf tour and originally we were supposed to have that during indian wells um but then i ended up getting into a challenger up in canada so they kind of made the announcement that we were gonna do that on air at indian wells and then three days later it turned out that well i can't make that anymore (laughs) because i gotta go play a tournament so Luckily, we were able. They were flexible with me, and we were able to reschedule that for the Miami Open. Um, and that was it was awesome. Just uh,
0: you know, we've talked for maybe ten minutes in total thus far. But you seem like a very courteous, very kind guy. It's those Midwest manners. I always appreciate that. Uh, was that one of the only times in your life where, you're like, you know what, I don't feel too bad canceling on this interview because I got to go play?
1: You know, at first, I was talking to my wife, and I'm like. <laughs> I kind of want to really do this I mean <laughs> my career yeah my career is really important but I mean if I can say something that can really help the career of a lot of other people then maybe I'll just have to sacrifice my one tennis match for this but no Tennis Channel was great and they really looked out for me um so we made it work for both worlds
0: while you were in down in Miami did you get the chance to hit with anyone
1: um I hit with Prakash Armitrage. Oh, that's um, always fun. So yeah, we had to do a little video shoot and he was my sparring partner for that.
0: Uh, I mean I so I saw some of the clips. It really did look like you were going half speed. You know, I know Armitage obviously has some power where you're conscious, like, I don't want to make this guy work too hard.
1: Yeah, well, we started filming right out of the get go. So <laughs> there wasn't really any time to warm up, so I was like, alright, well, I like, go oh, full speed where I might hurt myself or do I just kind of
0: groove into things? But yeah. I think there was a clip at the end of the video where you like miss a feed. And it was kind of funny. I was like, oh, like, <laughs> I totally get that feeling. You're like, you know, f- this. I don't really want to do that right now. Yeah. And so, yeah, totally understand where you're coming from. Well, uh, before we get into any of that transition tour stuff, as I mentioned, I want to talk about you. I've alluded to the Midwest. You were born in Illinois, you know, grew up playing tennis there. Uh, what was it like for you? How did you get into the sport?
1: Yeah, um, growing up in Chicago was – amazing um i grew up playing all sports baseball soccer basketball and that kind of my parents put me in a well-rounded just hey figure out what sport you like and let's let's play as many as you can and see what you're good at and um ended up playing baseball till eighth grade soccer till through freshman year of high school and then um that was kind of when i decided that you know what tennis is tennis is going to be it um growing up in Chicago, there are so many different players to play with um so you really couldn't go wrong with wherever you were.
0: you know there's often talk amongst midwest tennis players Sempta, Chicago, central Indiana, which is the best district. Would you stand for Chicago pretty hard?
1: yeah, um definitely when I was playing uh, <laughs> it was we were we were really, really good um all the little like mini. Davis Cup or I don't remember what they called it with the Midwest (laughs) Cup or something. It was usually us in central Indiana um, with the Ronnie Schneiders and all those guys. So uh, we all became really close in the Midwest, but it was really nice having guys around me who were always elite level and we had really good coaches as well. So it was a good system growing up.
0: You mentioned Ronnie Schneider, and I promise we'll get into stories about your matches with him in a little bit, but you talked about that coaching as well. I know you grew up with Coach Billy Heiser, former Illinois player. Uh, I think you still work with him as well. Uh, what was it like you know, when you first got to meet him? Because something seems to have connected to where you're still working with him at this point in your career.
1: Yeah, so I wouldn't say—so we're not working with each other now hands-on, but Billy's always been in my corner. Um, I've always supported him, and we we talk all the time. So um, on court, not so much, but it's definitely a relationship that we've had since I was 14 years old, and that will continue to have for the rest of my tennis career and beyond.
0: Is that something where— And I know I want to talk about your college decision, but just growing up around Billy, because as you mentioned, he's been influential in your career. Uh, Was he he always preaching Illinois to you?
1: Billy is probably the most influential person um, throughout my junior collegiate, and he still pushes me all the time. Um, When I was 13 or 14, I just, I wasn't, I mean, I really wasn't that great at tennis, and um, I Kind of, I thought, I'd, yeah, it would be cool to play in college, but had no pro aspirations at all. I just wanted to go to a really good academic school, and I was kind of looking at smaller D3 schools. Um, and then my one of my best friends, Brian Page, he's like, hey, you want to come to practice with me one day? I was sleeping over at his house in Wheaton. And he, I'm like, yeah, sure, where? He goes up in Vernon Hills with this guy, Billy Heiser. I'm like, all right, yeah, sounds good. And I started practicing, and I was missing so many balls and just bad attitude and billy's like all right you go run he's like run i'm like what what are you talking about i just met you he goes run just keep running i'm like when do i stop he goes when i tell you to stop <laughs> and it was kind of a shocking like oh wow this guy's this guy's tough but all right let's let's see where this goes um and at the end of practice he goes where you were doing sprints. And he goes, Jared, if you're not first, you can't come back ever again. And (laughs) I'm like, wow, this guy is legit. So I ran the sprints and came up first. And he said, all right, you can come back. But that was kind of the respect level. It really started then with Billy. And um, he really taught me how to respect the game. And that's something that I've always taken to heart with just being a competitive athlete and tennis player. That's something that I'll always have, and he just really taught me how to be a professional.
0: You mentioned uh, just growing up uh, around Billy, playing a bunch of sports, doing all of these separate things, and you know you weren't the highest rated tennis players in the twelves, fourteens, but you do eventually work your way up towards the top by the end. Now, one unique trait you have compared to a lot of players, it seems, is you didn't do the academy thing. You know, you stayed home, went to Nutcher High School. I have friends who went there. I know you guys were quite the tennis program. Uh, looking back on it, do you think that was definitely the right decision? And what sort of advice would you give to young aspiring juniors debating do i go to a academy or should i stay in high school
1: it was 100% the best decision that i could have me and my parents could have made um i had so many friendships growing up and through our community we were just all so close and it wasn't worth the sacrifice to leave them um for tennis because these relationships they go a lot longer than just on a tennis match so Um, It really gave me a well-rounded just upbringing and I still go back and visit my teachers and people think I'm pretty weird because of that but (laughs) I just I get pretty nostalgic and love my childhood and everything growing up was just perfect and I wouldn't change it for anything and um, I just for kids that are thinking about it I just say you know what there's more to life than tennis and being a well-rounded individual and being exposed to different cultures is really important and can actually make you even better on the tennis court.
0: Well, you say everything in childhood was perfect. You are the older brother of Aaron Hiltzik, a fellow Illinois tennis player, uh, obviously a high-level junior throughout and now a pro throughout his uh, time in the game. Uh, what's it like when you have someone like that, you know, right on your tail the entire time?
1: Yeah, it's it's amazing. And that's probably the number one thing that Billy taught me is like you have no idea how lucky you are to have a brother who is nipping at your butt and who wants you to be the best, but he's always there for you. And we always had a hitting partner and we played all sports together and we're super competitive. And I mean, it, it was, it's amazing. And I can't take that for granted ever.
0: If you were to share, I'm sure he would have a different answer, but if you were to say your career head to head record in sets, what are we looking at?
1: career head to head a record in sets. I would say that I am up 6 to 2.
0: <laughs> in terms of Oh, that's just pro I'm talking practice as well, lifetime. Oh up.
1: geez oh, I thought you were talking about like tournament matches, well no, practice sets. I like well, that answer I, too. I don't even know. <laughs> I mean, my dad would pull us off the course sometimes. We go hit it after school, we'd Go and hit at like nine PM at indoor club down the street and um
0: yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah well it's funny because I'm the younger brother to an older brother uh, who's also two grades above me so I could tell you the exact moment it was so- summer going into my sophomore his senior year of high school he had come back from a trip in Costa Rica you know he had to do his college resume buffing and so he didn't get to play as much tennis that summer and he came back and we played a set and I whooped his ass, like, I am talking, it was, dis- and I, I look at him, and I said, I don't think you're ever going to beat me again, now, I, I know, you know, it's a little different between you and Aaron, because you're both really, really good, so, you know, the margins are thinner, but was there a time, like, when you, I'm sure, pulled ahead when you started puberty, and then, you know, he inched back up, and you're like, uh-oh.
1: Yeah, you know, I've always just kind of had that big brother mentality when I play against him, and I've always felt like I'm the smarter one of the family, <laughs> just the older brother, and I can kind of maneuver things a little bit better than he can, but no, Aaron's Aaron's awesome, he, when he beats me in sets, like he's a little scared because he's like, oh boy, what's Jared going to do now, he's really going to be pissed at me, and he kind of feels that from me, And but when I beat him, I'm never worried at all, so he just, uh, yeah.
0: Oh, i love that answer that's exactly what i was looking for well enough talk about the brothers relationship i think that might just be cool to me because you know as a fellow brother i totally get that um but i i do want to talk you mentioned being a late bloomer again uh you had so much success towards your last year of 18s you know you i think win the clay core championship semi-final of easter bowl uh just doing all of these, or semi-final of Easter Bowl, semi-final of Kalamazoo, sorry, having all of these things go your way, um, yet y- y- you know, you mentioned earlier how you always wanted to go play college tennis. Was there any doubt in your mind when those re- uh, results started to pile up?
1: No. I, I knew what I was going to do. I made a commitment to play at University of Illinois and I wouldn't go back on my word with that. Um, I wanted Needed education for years. I knew I was going to be there for four years. Um, never thought about leaving early or anything like that. Um, I just, my parents and I, we value education a lot because there's going to be more to tennis after there's going to be more to life after tennis. So that really never crossed my mind.
0: Well, uh, uh, that's totally. You know, that's a very mature answer, by the way. Spoken like someone who went to college for four years, <laughs> so I love it. Um, one last thing from the juniors, and I know this is stupid, but just for some perspective for you, I was the high school class 2013, college 2017. So you know, we're, we're pretty similar in age. I was all in on tennis when you were rising through the rankings, and I know your senior year. This is a a niche a niche thing, but you know, three times in the biggest junior matches, you come across Ronnie Schneider. Now it's not. Not fair to say in any amateur circuit. There's a real rivalry because you know what are the stakes actually. But did you feel it all? You know, playing Ronnie over these years, you're like, oh, this is the guy I'm always seeing. Yeah,
1: you would. If you could ask him who is his biggest childhood rival, he'd probably say Jerry. <laughs> um, it was our first match ever. Was boys 12's Midwest closed, and I won seven six in the third in a three hour forty five minute match, and it was. Pretty much then and there, where this was going to be a long rivalry.
0: Yeah, oh, and you know, you look at the results. You guys play in a national final in St. Louis. Uh, he gets you there. You end up getting him at a national in Dayton, and then of course you guys play at the spring championships in Mobile. That's a six four four six six four. I'm pretty sure Colette Lewis put up YouTube highlights of that match, and I think I remember watching them. <laughs> uh, just. Yeah, uh, you, you mentioned just the three hour 45 minutes, that physicality. Was that something in juniors that was always a strength of yours?
1: Uh, I don't really know. Um, I know I made a lot of balls and that's probably why I won a lot of junior matches and then kind of to make it to the next level um, Billy and Brad and we Marcos, we just kind of all got on the same page and that's probably why my junior career, I really started to take off was just because we had that growth mindset we talked about where I wanted to be in five years, and we developed my game for that. So that was really the biggest thing.
0: And I, and I do want to get to your game, but you mentioned Billy at that point. Obviously, uh, with the physicality, just everything being as it is in your game, you talked about how college was so so important. You know, I've seen him in person now. I got to watch the Illinois-Michigan match this week. Uh, Brad Dancer's a smooth operator. So walk me through your relationship with him. When's the first time he reached out to you? When did you start thinking, ooh, maybe Illinois is the place for me?
1: Yeah, so, I mean, like I said, I was originally being recruited by smaller D3 schools. Um, My dream school was Northwestern. It always was, just growing up. And my first coach was Claire Pollard, um, who's the women's— coach there still, so I started hitting with her when I was seven or eight years old, and Northwestern always just had this spot on my heart that I absolutely loved, but um, things didn't work out with that. won't get into the long story with that (laughs) one, but um, Illinois was kind of the one bigger school, like Tennis Powerhouse, that really looked at me, and Brad sent me a letter in the mail and said, hey, I'm going to be at the Midwest Closed. Maybe I can see you there, and we just started talking, and he came up to Chicago a couple times. And it just, we really got on the same page. And he always believed in me. Um, he loved my athleticism. And like I said, when I committed, I think I was 128 in tennis recruiting, a four star recruit. And literally, as soon as I committed and we all got on the same page, communication is key. And it just really started taking off.
0: And, you know, fast forward to that freshman year, uh, that Illinois team is coming off of a Big Ten championship. And for yourself now, you have raised expectations because you're coming in as the number one recruit in the nation. Now, you know, take that as whatever. Who, what does that really matter in the large scheme of things? But what's that like for you when you're transitioning first uh, on the tennis side to college with those sorts of expectations coming on to that sort of team?
1: Yeah, it's, it's funny because my expectations were, I was just hoping that I'd be in the lineup, really. (laughs) Um, I always kind of thought of myself as underdog and that's the, probably the one thing that's holding me back from really breaking through is just that belief in myself. And um, every day I just went about my own business, trying to take care of the things that I know I could do really well and um, my ability to compete and Brad trusted me and put me up near the top of the lineup at the beginning of the year, and um, things just kind of took
0: off. I mean, that freshman year, you're the only player in the nation to beat Blaz Rola. Uh, You end up working your way up to the number one singles position, go 29-11 and overall. Big Ten freshman of the year, you know, all of these great achievements. But just in general, I'm curious because for me, college tennis is as thrilling as tennis tennis gets and in Illinois in particular in Champaign you know they're the net nuts and just that environment is known for being one of the best um, in the college game Uh, what's that transition like getting to play on that stage for the first time
1: it's it's incredible Um, you're not used to having a community behind you that loves tennis so much and just wants their school to win and um, Brad and the guys on the team we just did a really good job of reaching out to people and getting them involved and making them not just feel like people cheering us on the sidelines, but being a part of our family. And, um, we really felt that. And,
0: you know, aside from the tennis and I promise I'll get back to the college tennis because you've had, or you had an incredible career. Um, on the school note, you know, you mentioned always, I wanted to go to an academic institution. That's important to me and my family, but still, you know, being a student athlete in the NCAA, it's it's gotten a lot of grief, obviously. It's nothing like that commercial. It's way harder. Um, What is that transition, or what was that like for you, just transitioning to being a full-time student athlete?
1: It it was definitely a tough transition. Uh, The first six months or so, I knew that going in to university of illinois i wanted to be in the business school but it's pretty tough when you don't get in immediately as a freshman so i knew i had to take those core classes and i busted my tail off trying to do that but it was it was too difficult in the just trying to balance everything but the guys the upperclassmen took me under their wing and really taught me the ropes and it was a big learning curve just that initial six months but we ended up figuring it out
0: and I should have mentioned this maybe when I did your introduction. You are a multiple-time ITA scholar athlete, multiple-time uh, Big Ten academ- all Big Ten academic team. Uh, so obviously, you know how serious you took your academics is reflected in your accomplishments. But you know, enough academic talks. No one cares about that. <laughs> I want to talk about your teams, in particular your junior team, because I went back and looked at this lineup, and oh my gosh, is it stacked? We'll start with this. Was there any doubt in your mind Aaron was, was not going to go to Illinois?
1: Yeah, there was a little bit. Um, I knew that he really liked his visit to University of Georgia. Um, but at the end of the day, I wasn't going to let him go anywhere else.
0: <laughs> <laughs> was it something, you're like, look, Aaron, we, we get you, we get Vukic, myself, Gosia, Kapinski. Oh, my God, what a team. Yeah, we were we were really good. Yeah, and you look at the results of that team. That's obviously the year you win your only uh, Big Ten title. Uh, just what does it take? You know, Illinois is a team that's had, uh, as a program on the men's side, a ton of success. But in general, what went into building that team culture to where you guys could have the sort of success you did?
1: Yeah, it starts with team culture, and that's really what it was. That was the best culture team that we had in those four years brad always that's our first meeting every year is team culture is the most important thing for a college team to have obviously yeah you need some good tennis players but culture is the glue that brings them together and makes great teams great Um, so i mean having a ross and a tk at the helm was absolutely incredible and we're like brothers out there Um, we always had each other's back and we everyone was just on the same bandwidth and it was pretty impressive and um unfortunately that season ended a little bit early i blame myself um the day before we were supposed to play unc uh we were playing ultimate frisbee and i broke ross's finger in playing that yeah. um, not sure if that was ever known to the public but <laughs> that is what happened so we had to pull him out of our singles and doubles lineup um, nice. so that was pretty tough
0: well, you you talk about Ross, uh, you know you and him and Kapinski had played together for a couple of years. Then you end up sliding up with Kapinski that season. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just. It was such a fascinating team. You, you talked about that team culture. I've seen Illinois play too many times now, and what is associated with them more than anything? I L L I N I. You hear it everywhere you go. And, you know, you don't have to give away the entire trade secrets, but that's something Brad te- uh, preaches, right? It's make noise no matter where we are. Exactly. And it's what, what's that? Is that just to, you know, make sure everyone is aware of each other's presence?
1: Yeah, and it's just everyone is as important as the guys playing Um, the bench. I mean, if we win a match, but our bench is terrible, Brad will unleash on the entire bench. (laughs) So it's something that it's a standard that we created, and that's a standard that we have to live up to.
0: This is kind of a, uh, an interesting question, I guess. But do you think that shit works? Like I remember back in the day early on. In fact, I think it was against you guys. You came and played Michigan. It might have been my freshman year. I think Evan King might have – I don't remember what year it was. Um, but I, I think we won that match. And just in particular, I think, you know, the on it and all of these things and the stuff in between serves, do you feel that as a player on the court? Do you, are you able to, you know, block out the crowd as is so cliche? Or does that stuff actually affect you?
1: It really depends on the individual. Um, it didn't bother me too much. I I kind of wish that they brought it back and it wasn't so restricted anymore, um, within reason, obviously. But hey, it's the name of the game, college tennis. You go in, it's going to be dirty. It's going to be gritty. And that's one of the things that makes it great. And um, unfortunately, I feel like it's gotten a little too clean now, um, but it is what it is.
0: So that would be your opinion is it's totally bring that back because I, I agree and disagree. You know, the shouting in between second serves, if I was playing, I would get so mad. But it does, it for, it allows the crowd, doesn't force the crowd, it allows it to be engaged in a way that's just so unique. Exactly.
1: I mean, look, people can cheer when guys are shooting free throws. So <laughs> <laughs> why can't?
0: I don't know. Yeah, I I I, that's fair. I I don't disagree with you. Well, then, uh, one other big change that happened in college tennis, and I I believe you got to experience it, add to no ad scoring, the shortening of the doubles point. Uh, I can only imagine what it's like to go through that in the moment. But you know, both what it was that like, and then looking back, do you like the switch to no ad scoring?
1: So at first, I was traumatized. (laughs) It was I was like, oh my gosh, every match I've lost this deuce point, lost this deuce point. And then I finally just took a step back. and like, you know what, this really is not in my control at all. It is what it is. And it actually made me a better tennis player looking back at it. Um, And now if I have the option to play ad or no ad, I definitely choose no ad. Because it just makes you that much more aware from the beginning. And it just makes you a better tennis player and teaches you how to play in the clutch. So um, I really enjoy that.
0: And it kind of adds to the excitement, right? That sudden death, you know, the thrill. You can play such a tight match, but if you lose five out of six deuce points, you know, you're f***ed. Yep. And so I, I agree with you. It adds an aspect that's just... I, I, it just it helps college tennis, I suppose, stand out and makes it that much more of an exciting event. Uh, I do want to get back to your junior season. I heard you allude that North Carolina match, and no, I had never heard it was Ultimate Frisbee, so I think that is some breaking news. Westoff, if you could, give me a break. I heard you allude that North Carolina match, and no, I had never heard it was Ultimate Frisbee, so I think that is some breaking news. Westoff, if you could, give me a breaking news sound effect. Um, but that North Carolina team... I think it was Bobby Knight or someone went there and there was a video from it on YouTube. And I know you guys played them early in the season in Champaign and it was a controversial match. I believe you guys won it four, three, uh, just when you got, you know, you draw them in the round of 16. Is that something also in the back of your mind kind of adding to the tension of that match?
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, us in North Carolina, that rivalry started because of that first match. Um, and we go after each other a lot and there's we compete hard and it's never going to be we expect is never going to be a clean match when we play against them um vice versa so it's just one of those things but i think the coaches have done a great job and um there's a lot of heat between us and the north north carolina guys and it i mean eventually time takes care of everything
0: yeah, and I I don't mean to you know delve you into the details, but that was a seminal you know that's one of those things I remember watching. I think it was hooking. I, we we don't have to call anyone out in particular, but just are, are those sort of rivalries real? You carry that over right throughout the season,
1: for sure. Yeah, I mean there's always going to be close calls in any college match, and sometimes when you're playing a team that you just really really want to beat, it just feels like it's that much much more important and um it is what it is but like I said the coaches did a great job of kind of intervening and making it more about tennis than anything else and me and Braden and Ronnie and all the guys were really good friends now so it's not like anything (laughs) ever happened is just in the moment with both of us having really good teams and just wanting to be great and um that's just kind of what happened
0: and for you personally, after going through such an emotional loss, because I can only imagine how hard it is when uh, you lose that team match in in the team side, you have to rebound and come back for the individual tournament, and that's the year you make the quarterfinals. First guy to do that from Illinois since Kevin Anderson. Uh, what was that experience like for you?
1: you no, know, it was great. Um, it was just, it was yeah. We had a roller coaster of emotions of being the four seed and really excited then me breaking ross's finger and then <laughs> having a claw away to a match at north carolina and um after we lost the team comp or yeah after we lost in a team competition um uh, me and brad and a, i think it was no it was just me brad and tim because we almost got in doubles we would have but he sent tim on a plane back home <laughs> it's a long story um but we went up to one of my teammates pablo landa he has a Gorgeous place up in Austin And we literally just relaxed there for three days And kind of turned the brain off, went on the boat And um, then just drove back To Waco
0: Yeah, and uh, for you to get to the quarterfinals Again, earn that All-American status That feels good, right? Yes, yes. <laughs> okay, well then we can leave that there. Um, I, this is my way of sort of transitioning to your pro career. After you make that quarterfinal run, you're obviously playing great tennis. Uh, you dabble on the pro circuit that summer and you start to experience a little bit of success. Uh, you make a semifinal in Wichita, quarterfinal in Winnetka, and then you make a final in Godfrey. You know, you had been in college three years at that point. That last season, you had experienced the highs of the Big Ten tourney. You kind of had the deal. I, I'm not sure, but I imagine, given that you are married now, you had met your lovely fiancé at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, were there any thoughts in your head, maybe now is my time to jump on the pro circuit, or did you always think, I want to stay in college?
1: No, I, I always wanted to stay. Like I said, I made that commitment to my teammates, my family, to my coaches. and um I still wasn't ready. Uh, Brad, he's great with letting us kind of figure out our schedule and still playing as much of a pro tennis schedule that we want. So that was something that I never really doubted. Um, and it worked out. I mean, I took the fall off my senior year to play professional events, and it didn't go so well. I mean, I missed my team a lot, and I miss my – well, she's my girlfriend then. Um, but, yeah, that was really tough, and I remember – I played a tournament in Toronto, and I lost on a Tuesday. Drove back home to Champagne, eight hours. I got back Wednesday, and then was home for four days or so. Drove all the way back to Toronto. <laughs> so I just really wanted to be back home, and that's kind of what happened.
0: Is there a fun story since we've since we've now broached the subject of how you met your now wife, and I, I believe her name is Heather, correct?
1: Yeah, Heather, Um, we met at at the beginning of the year, um, kind of the student athletes, we have a little assembly, and everyone gets to meet each other, and she doesn't remember meeting me there, but that's where I met her, (laughs) Um, and then she was good friends with my roommate who's on the golf team, and I came back from, I think, weights one night, and she was just sitting by my bed, and he's like, oh. He his name's David, he was a golfer. He's like, Oh Heather, get get off his bed and I'm like, No, she can she can sign, she's she, she can just sit there <laughs> and yeah, it just kinda of started then and we were pretty close with the gymnastics team at the time so it just organically fell through fell forward.
0: And I noticed, and I'll, I'll just admit it to you, I did a little Instagram stalking, that your entire tennis team uh, ends up coming to your wedding, or maybe not the entire, but so many of the guys you played with are at your wedding. Is that a testament to the culture, as you refer to, that Coach Dancer has been able to build?
1: 100%. I mean, Brad and Marcos were having almost more fun than anyone there. <laughs> um, that was, but no, it was my whole entire team that came, and um, even alumni that I wasn't even teammates with, so that's that's a true testament to the culture that Brad's created, um, and it's pretty special, pretty special family.
0: Uh, yeah, and I, again, I think it speaks to how special college tennis is. It is one of the few places where you really get to embrace that team environment, which in tennis is so hard to find. Uh, now, I do want to transition to your pro uh, tour uh, experiences, and this is how we'll get into the ITF transition tour stuff. You know, you go pro and, you know, you didn't have crazy success right out of the gate, but still you found yourself working your way through futures. And then in April of 2017, you get a huge win in Memphis. Uh, that's obviously such a great moment. But now you've got to experience a little bit of both worlds, right? The old uh, the old tour where you play futures, get points, move up to challengers, uh, and you, you've done that versus this new thing. What to you is the biggest difference in the two systems?
1: The preparation um, and just the mobility for players to move up has been reduced significantly. Uh, Wild cards are a great premium now, and it's just really, really difficult.
0: That was, first of all, a way better answer than my question. A little ramply there. Sorry about that. It's getting late. Um, But just... Yeah, I just feel like that that's the biggest thing and we did a podcast, a great shot podcast with Carousel where he talked about all of these things as well. One of the biggest things he mentioned and you've talked about this on Twitter, opportunity. Now I think you mentioned what is it, the average challenger uh, ranking to get in on the entry list. I think it was like 347 or something like that, the mm-hmm. average cutoff and – I mean that's just ridiculous. There was a challenger in Phoenix right after Indian Wells, where we saw Gauff and Nicholas, Jerry and Jeremy Chardy all playing at the challenger level because it's just that much harder to find points. Um, I mean it that that's the crux of the issue, right? Is the lack of opportunity now given to players to move up?
1: Correct. Yeah, there's just no pathway. I mean, if your top five, the top five players, in the ITF rankings, will get into challengers now. Um, but those guys are, those are a lot of guys who played a ton of futures last year. So the guys right now would have to start doing that in order to kind of catch up to them. But the whole system really helped people who last year established themselves as either challenger players or solely futures players. And the players that kind of did a combination of both are the ones that are really in a tough position right now.
0: It must have felt nice at the end of last year to win that Futures title in Houston and get that uh, win in the final over Ronnie. But a point you made in that Tennis Channel interview, you know, I think it was 27 points is what you would have gotten from that future. And then all of a sudden it's down to three. I mean, that's – that was one of the – I guess – Was it that they screwed up the transition in the points? Was it that now the system just doesn't work? Was it all of the above? I mean, how frustrating is this to you?
1: So, yeah, I was talking with um, Christopher Williams, who I worked with for two years, and we both agreed that that's probably the toughest thing in my eyes, how I won this tournament. I got 27 points. Those 27 points are my points. At that (laughs) time, those are 27 points, my physical points. And as soon as 29... hits that I lose those points and gets turned into three. So I mean I I just don't understand how they can take away points like that for just a new system. At least let me keep on keep those points and if I can't defend them at least it'll help me get into higher level tournaments where I can defend them before those points go away.
0: And and I think one of the best things, or at least thus far, and I know uh the season is still early, but you did have the chance to get into some challenger main draws. Uh you qualify in Cleveland and make the quarterfinals there. Stupid fun fact for you, but I was at that event. I actually ball boyed your match versus Marcos Giron. Um no. I was one of, I was the guy at the net and I apologize for my performance, but uh <laughs> I that it was probably me that led to uh the unfortunate slip up but then you know Marcos is actually in my house right now. Oh in another re- room. Is he really? over <laughs> oh that's funny well you're welcome to both of you I guess uh Marcos <laughs> Giron, another wonderful in uh Cracked Interviews guest so go listen to that pod but yeah you know you make round of 16 in Dallas as you mentioned you fly up to Drummondville unfortunately lose first round there but you have gotten into some challenger events uh this year uh what I, I guess the obvious thing is you want to play as many challengers as possible, but is that really, that's your goal right now is just to try and get into as many tournaments as possible.
1: So it is. um, I mean, obviously I'd love to play as many challengers as possible. The way that the old system worked is that, yeah. So I was looking at, I'll just give an example. I was looking at going to India and then Thailand for two weeks um, and just doing that full three week stretch. And I would have gotten into India, but I wasn't going to get into the Thailand tournaments. So because there's no more qualifying in in the old system, I could have, hey, if I get into one, that's great. But if I don't get into the next one, well, at least there's qualifying as a fallback. And now you have to be willing to go to a tournament for one week and it just, there's a financial burden that, that places on you and your body with the travel is really difficult. So it's kind of just balancing in my mind what is worth it for me to do right now or what makes sense Um, and luckily I've been able to get into a couple tournaments that have been easy to get to in the United States Um, and I have no points dropping off until August so I'm not too panicked right now Um, I have an opportunity to play in Sarasota and then hopefully Tallahassee and then Savannah Georgia it looks like I'm only four out of the main draw so those are some opportunities that I'm going to have to take advantage of.
0: Get that French Open Wild card, my friend. All about yeah. those three events. Uh, also, given that Indian Wells result, you better be charging Marcos rent.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, he pays me in espresso pods.
0: <laughs> or, word on the street, is he's quite the Fortniter. He pays you in Fortnite performances. I actually have not seen him play, but I have heard he does travel with it. <laughs> well, he's earned that right. Um,. You know, uh, one last thing on the transition tour, Uh, I know these are big structural issues and to ask any one person to solve the problem would be ridiculous and, you know, Dave Miley has talked a lot about this and he's very smart on the subject, but in general for you, are there any obvious fixes that you think the ATP, the ITF could implement right away to help alleviate uh, your and players like yours situation?
1: I think opening up the qualifying draws a bit more would obviously be a good start. Um, Like I said on my interview with Tennis Channel, the idea to pay 300 to 350 players and let them make a living, I thought was a great idea. Um, And it just unfortunately hasn't worked out the way that they would have planned. They made a comparison with trying to compare the tennis to the golf tour. But unfortunately, with golf, you have the longevity where you can go drop down and play the web.com tour for a year and you'll still have 25 years um, playing golf professionally you can play on the tour. Unfortunately, tennis, it's not like I can go drop down and just play Futures again. Um, That takes up 10-15% to of my career. So that's the difficulty when they try and do that comparison.
0: Yeah, and it's just so interesting because one of the points they made during the Tennis Channel interview, uh, interview just an interesting perspective the futures the challengers tour they really are the most natural way to sort of filter out who deserves to make the highest levels of the games and who doesn't and i i mean uh points aside do you still think the way the game is structured that is the best way to sort of filter out that sort of talent yeah i do yeah it's just uh it really it does work
1: yep it, it does work um Obviously, I wish there was more money in the Challenger level um, and in the Futures level, so more players obviously could be afloat, um, but that's a whole other story.
0: Yeah, and and we can leave that for another time. I want to do two more things real quick. Uh, Talk a little bit about your game, and then I want to run you through a rapid fire. That sounds good. Yep. All right, cool. Well, I as I mentioned, I starting back with the Kalamazoo uh, or Kalamazoo, the zoo tennis videos. Uh, I, I've seen a lot of your games over the year. One thing you know, everyone would say you're incredibly quick. Uh, you can track down any ball, but I would say one thing I've noticed and, and correct me if I'm wrong, it seems like you're always tinkering with your forehand. You know, sometimes you, you you massage it a little bit too much, leave it a little bit short, but it would be unfair to say you don't have the firepower to crank that thing when you want to. Would you say that's a fair assessment? Something you're constantly, you know, tinkering with?
1: Yeah, I'm I'm a Tinker Bell on the forehand. Um, (laughs) As Brad will say, as Ryan Williams will say, um, when I worked with him, it was, it's definitely become more of a weapon for me, and I have a great forehand, and it's me just trusting it, and it was just trying to figure out what the best way for me to go about it was because I do have such a live arm, and sometimes I just hold back because I know how live my arm is, um, and it's more, it's not me hitting a ball at a three or it's me that's hitting a ball at a ten because I can do both. It's more of me getting that consistent seven, eight ball that I can just repeat over and over again.
0: Well, I think, and first of all, that's, I completely agree with that assessment. I am curious though, because as we meant, or as I mentioned, you are incredibly quick. Is there something to, you kind of like scrambling. You like when things get a little bit chaotic because when it's improv- improvisation on the court, that that's when you start, you sort of start to thrive.
1: Yeah, I think, um, I would. I pride myself on being a really good athlete, and that's probably the best trait that I have on the tennis court is my athleticism. So when that can just take over naturally, um, then things go pretty well.
0: You mentioned the live arm. I would say when you want to, ju- uh, you know, crank that first serve, you can really juice up the miles per hour. Uh, how important is that first serve now? Given that you know so many players, it seems like physically six three to six five, they can just crank serves, crank forehands at will.
1: Yeah, the having my serve is what continues to give me and my coaches the belief that I can make it on the pro tour because that's something that not everyone has, and it's a huge weapon, um, especially coupled with my speed and defensive abilities that you just don't really see too much. So as I continue to build and evolve my game around my serve, then things are going to hopefully be pretty good.
0: I say this respectfully, but I would think it's fair to say you are not the most natural volleyer. Um, Is that something else you're conscious of? And on a side note of that, would you recommend anyone who has pro aspirations go to college, play some seasons of doubles, learn how to volley? Because, I I mean, I, I say you're not the most comfortable volleyer, but you've clearly gotten better and better as you've progressed.
1: Yeah, no, for sure. Um, my freshman year, I mean, doubles was so foreign to me and then <laughs> I ended up really just learning how to play the game. And, um, yeah, technically my volleys are not great. Um, we tried working on my volley technique in college and Brad finally, said, you know what, screw it. He said, just put the ball where it needs to go. He's like, just be athletic up there. That's all you <laughs> need to do. So We actually, with my volleys, we don't even talk about technique anymore because I don't have great technique, but I put the ball where it needs to go.
0: Yeah, and I I think I uh, I would say your game. Of, who am I to say this? But uh, you continue to look more and more impressive. And again, you can't teach the physical stuff, so that's why it's so fun to watch you play because there are balls you track down, and it's just like what? How did he do that? What is going mm-hmm. on? Um, last serious question to you. I was at the national indoors. I saw you suited up in the night gear on court with the uh, you know whatever the pants you guys all wear and the Illinois collared tee. Is college tennis coaching something you've thought about at all?
1: No. um, (laughs) Going forward, no. Um, Brad said that he wouldn't even let me do it um, (laughs) just because he sees me doing uh, different things post-tennis. But, no, it's it's fun to be with the guys, and uh, you learn a lot when you're on the sidelines, and sometimes, like right now, when I'm not getting too many competitive opportunities, you need to kind of fill that competitive void with some matches and no better place to do it than National Indoors in Chicago.
0: Completely agree with you. Well then there's one last thing I want to do that is something we do with all of our guests on the Cracked Interviews Podcast. It is a rapid fire series of questions. Uh, I'll hit you with some quick fun ones. You can give me whatever answers come to the top of your mind. Sound good? Sounds good. Alright then to see with some quick fun ones. You can give me whatever answers come to the top of your mind. Sound good? Sounds good. Alright then, just off, watch it off with the all right, let's blah. start. <laughs> that was... Don't give me a sound effect, West. Off, actually, just leave the blob, please. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> let's let's get to number one. As I mentioned, I did some social media stalking before this. The New York Giants have the number six pick, and how a kid from Illinois ends up a Giants fan is beside my. I it's I I don't get it. But Dwayne Haskins, is that who you're looking for? What do you want from them this season? Uh.
1: DK Metcalf.
0: <laughs> really? You, because Odell's gone and we've clearly think Eli still works. Yep. Well, I'm
1: hoping that Dwayne we get Dwayne Haskins and then DK Metcalf. Oh, that's the true. The, pick. That'll the, be perfect.
0: I see. Oh, that I forgot that they traded for my fellow Michigan alum, Jabril Pepper, not alum, I suppose, but Jabril Pepper. So yeah, yeah. Um, interesting. How did you become a Giants fan?
1: Uh, my dad was born and raised in New York.
0: And, ah, yeah. of course it all makes sense now okay now I want to do a fun one college tennis teammate edition uh, I'll try not to get you in trouble but feel free to throw any of your teammates under the bus we'll start with perfect. an easy one favorite practice partner you can't say Aaron by the way for that one Alex Vukic <laughs> the way he slapped the cord after it was fun Mhm. <laughs> perfect All right. Um, most competitive teammate Roski on <laughs> teammate most likely to hook you in practice um... don't say no one, I'm not gonna let you cop out. Wow, this one you could say Aaron, but it wouldn't be. <laughs> Is there an answer?
1: nobody. No, there isn't. Oh,
0: all right. I I don't know him personally, but you're telling me Alex Jesse wasn't just throwing you hooks to keep you off guard. No, not at all. (laughs) I just feel like, and I say this lovingly, that's the only way I could beat you. I just try and get you off your game. So, all right, off the court, most enjoyable to get dinner with? Tim Kapinski. Funniest teammate? Julian Childers. (laughs) most enjoyable to go out with Brian page (laughs) any stories there you're willing to share or no gotta leave that off gotta leave that off (laughs) I'm glad to hear it all right most memorable match you played in Champaign Memphis my sophomore year is there a reason why Um, our team
1: was down 3-0 and it was the round of 32 Um and our team was down 3-0. We lost five first sets, and I saved multiple match points and ended up clinching the 3 all match.
0: What what? About, where does the, uh, and I, I totally respect your choice, but I just want to ask, the 4-0 over Ohio State Big Ten tourney at home senior year, your brother clinches. Where does that rank?
1: I mean, that goes hand-in-hand hand with this <laughs> one. Those, those are the two that really... Those were both incredible.
0: Yeah. Are, are the net nuts truly nuts? Yeah, they're awesome. <laughs> okay. Have you ever been annoyed at any point during a match when you heard an ILL chant? No. <laughs> really? You're never like, you, let's say you lost a, a no ad point. You're just like, please, not this one. Nope. <laughs> I would get pissed off. I'd be like, guys, (laughs) just give me like two seconds to think, please. Um, All right. Some non-team related stuff. Favorite meal off the court? Sushi. All right. Favorite favorite role? Um, I'm a nigiri guy. (laughs) Okay. Uh, I like it. Look, I'm a fan of all forms of sushi. Um, Favorite tennis player?
1: Besides myself, probably <laughs> no Tennis family member.
0: <laughs> I expected Djokovic and Nadal. It feels like everyone answers Djokovic Nadal, Murray, you know, Federer. That was a good, interesting answer. I like that one. Or I'm surprised you didn't go with Billy Heiser. That was a chance to score some points. Oh yeah. <laughs> you and Billy play a set right now. What's the score? Six three. <laughs> I assume that means you. I don't know.
1: He's. He's. He strangely, he can just never play, and then he can beat me, so
0: I don't know. <laughs> All right, well, last few. Uh, favorite city in the world? Chicago. Uh, music you listen to before a match? Dance, EDM. Is there a particular track you've been listening to nowadays? Um, I like Chainsmokers. <laughs> ah, I like it. Honeymoon Destination, where did you go? Kauai. In and Hawaii. the reason I asked that, I'm pretty sure there were some pretty cool Instagram photos. Uh, fun experience. Yeah. Oh, it was unbelievable. Recommended. Yes, highly. <laughs> awesome. All right. Um, let's think. Final one. Thing you've learned on the pro tour that you did not expect. It's lonely.
1: <laughs> you got to. Uh, you got to surround yourself with people that support you um, and find things to do off the court or else you'll become just a hotel body that just stays in there all day. And that's not too good.
0: <laughs> that being said, is there a Netflix show you turn to?
1: I've probably exhausted that entire <laughs> series,
0: everything on Netflix. <laughs> oh, I just watched the last kingdom and, and I've seen it. Oh, you got to throw it up. I think that's the one with uh Uhtred Ragnarsson. Oh, great. Okay. One. It's like game of Thrones light. Equal amounts of killing, slightly less sex, um, still good.
1: Yeah, I've never been.
0: I watched one episode, one or two
1: episodes of Game of Thrones. Just wasn't up my alley.
0: Oh. I don't I don't There's know if I'm gonna, hate for that one yeah but. that's probably that's gonna be the takeaway from this pod you had yes, to do that exactly. <laughs> <laughs> all right well again jared thank you so much for taking the time to do this I want to give you the final word give you a chance to kind of plug uh some stuff where where your content is you know where people can follow you uh what you're up to on the pro tour in the next few months so any final things
1: yeah you can uh follow me at jared hiltzik on twitter instagram facebook Um, jaredhiltzik.com. And then also my brother and I own an e-commerce store with uh, recovery equipment for athletes. So that's recoveryforathletes.com. And yeah, we're just here to provide some of the best things out there to enhance your recovery and kind of keeps me busy on the road. So any help would be great.
0: I cannot believe I didn't ask you about that. I'm sneaking in a final question. (laughs) Give me how that uh, transpired.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, with so much time on the road, i be doing my practices and fitness and have so much time to just spend the rest of the day and my brother and I decided to kind of open up our own little business and we thought this would be a great place to start a little being entrepreneurs and uh, my brother-in-law owns a uh, golf simulator store so he kind of taught me the ropes and how to do it all and we thought this would be a great place to start.
0: That is awesome. One more time, can you give the website so our listeners can go check that out?
1: Yeah, it's recoveryforathletes.com. All right,
0: that, that That is so awesome. Jared, I should have said this earlier, by the way. I'm a huge fan of your backhand. I'm a backhand connoisseur, and yours is one of the most beautiful. So, uh, I really appreciate that. Yeah, so keep doing what you've been doing out there. Again, at Jared Hildsick, Twitter, Instagram, if you want to uh, learn more about him, follow his time on the tour. But, Jared, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the podcast, and good luck to you throughout the rest of the 2019 season. Thank you, Alex. All right, take care.